everybody, and welcome to the Running Anthropologist podcast. It's so nice that you're here with us, coming back at you strong here this fall season. And it is indeed a great season to be starting to talk about cross-country and all things outdoor running. Uh, this episode, we're featuring Kieran Carver, or KJ Carver, who's been a guest on our podcast in the past, and this time he's talking about his transition to college as a collegiate runner, what it's taken to get there, and all the fun stuff that he's done around the, around the journey, including his training, the tough stuff, the fun stuff, and the stuff that he's still not sure about. So can't wait to invite you in and have a great conversation with KJ. Uh, those of you who are longtime guests will remember that we also interviewed KJ the summer before he started his high school career. Not sure if he would be high school and college running material. He's turned out to be one of the top runners in the state. Went off and been uh, one of the top runners at his college at Emory um, already. In the first few meets, uh, he's doing well. And let's hear a short ode to cross country to start off this wonderful episode. I know that many of us have cross country backgrounds or just love running outside or maybe have that nice warm memory of watching others run in a cross country season or on a team. So we're going to start off by just reading a nice poem and then we'll dive into the episode. Okay, and again, this is entitled Ode to Cross Country. Cross country on grassy fields, on golf courses, on wooded paths, around ponds, in the mud, in the rain, in the snow, an ode to cross country, moving quickly past, running through my mind, visualizing, knowing that I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. And that was Ode to Cross Country, a little compilation that I put together based upon some thoughts from, from the season. And as most of you know, uh, involved in either coaching or running, uh, it's an exciting time for high school and college, as well as some adult cross-country runners, a new and growing thing, the uh, fall cross-country and winter season in some places. And in fact, you can, uh, you, you can come across uh, adult cross-country if you'd like to form a team. Um, it's out there. Mario Fraioli, recently on his Morning Shakeout podcast, talked a little bit about his cross-country team. That's a cool episode to check out and some of the opportunities there. But yeah, you can Google it and it's never too late to get involved in cross-country or to find a team to help coach or just go out and cheer on in your area. Okay, well, without further ado, let's get started. fitting to give a quick prequel to the episode that it has been a long time since we have uh, published an episode. However, we have not stopped sharing information on the Running Anthropologist page and uh, both on the website and the Facebook page, as well as connecting people to and listening to share stories and sharing stories on the culture of running. So you're welcome to check that out and post your own and share. 
on the website, on the blog site, or on the Facebook page at Running Anthropologist or runninganthropologist.com. I uh, hope to be able to share out at least once a month a unique story in running culture uh, as we find them and as folks uh, willing to share them. So if you have an idea or someone you think we should interview, uh, I'd love to hear from you. And hope you and yours have a great running season. Wishing you happy running. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Running Anthropologist. Uh, this is a special episode for me because I get to do a follow-up with uh, with an area runner and someone that I've actually spent time running with throughout my career. Um, and he is just starting um, in his... Uh, and his athletic uh, endeavors uh, in college, but has finished a very successful high school career. Uh, Kieran Carver has uh, successfully uh, multiple state medalists, has been very successful uh, both in the county and the state level in both track and cross country. Uh, this year received uh, the ben, Dr. Ben Walker Award for the top male cross country runner in Hillsborough County, uh, Florida, which is a very competitive um, competitive part of the country for running, and uh, has also won uh, many accolades uh, in track, including uh, setting some records this year and uh, setting some PRs, and we're very, uh, very grateful that he's taking time to sit down and share some of his, uh, some of his secrets, some of his tips, some of his advice, and how he's doing. So, uh, KJ, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Let's let's start off just with um, how are you feeling, uh, both about your running and about um, starting at, at Emory this uh, this fall. I'm feeling like I'm in a pretty good place. Really excited to head up in a couple weeks, uh, get to meet the team officially, and just enjoy the whole college journey. Uh, really happy with how high school went, both running and academics, and looking forward to the next chapter of my life. Great, and you, um, you'll you be, I'm sure, running both uh, cross-country and track at Emory. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, what is the difference, you know, just for people who might not know, between high school cross-country and college cross-country? So in high school, one of the biggest differences is that in high school, the, difference, or the distance is uh, 5K, and in college, for D3 at least, that jumps up to 8K, and then for championship races that can go up to 10k Hmm. and uh in general for training the biggest difference is just more mileage and higher intensity workouts so even this summer my training has been a bit more intense more workouts more distance than what i've been typically used to that's really interesting i guess i need to learn more about college cross country too because I didn't realize that at some point in the season, you may have to jump up to a 10K. How does that work? You know, how, who decides when you run an 8K versus when you run a, a 10K for a, a championship or something like that? I think in general, it just depends on who's hosting the race. If it's more of a, not necessarily local, but lower tier cross country race, <laughs> um, like just an invite from some other college, it's usually an 8K. Whereas for like the NCAA races, such as regions or nationals, it can be like 10K. Okay, great. I, I know around, around Florida, when you're competing in cross country, obviously you compete on a wide array of terrain from parks to, you know, sandy to trails to gravel, uh, not much elevation here. But um, what is your impression of the types of courses that you'll be running on in college? 
it's really going to depend where it is. There's going to be a lot more hills, maybe even, like, mountainous areas that I'll run in, and the weather changes a ton, too. I know this last year, the D3 Nationals was in Lansing, Michigan, and it was, there were multiple feet of snow on the course, (laughs) so you have to be ready for anything, and with Florida being flat, the hills are going to be a bit of adjusting. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you're integrating some of that into your training, which I want to get to ask you about. Um, But before we get to that, um, I would also just kind of like to ask you, you know, for high school runners or even parents who are interested in learning about, you know, what that kind of thing is, um, I would be interested personally to hear about how recruitment works, you know, how you prepare and talk to colleges about, you know, you're a very academically you're you're really sound you're a really good student as well so what are some of the factors that went into your consideration and then how did you know tips or advice that you could provide for others in in terms of how recruitment actually works for a student athlete so for my recruiting journey I chose my schools based on purely academics at first so I went through looking at every college that was really strong in the fields that I was looking in, which is primarily biology and chemistry for me, because I want to do pre-med in college. Um, And then from there, I also would look and see what the team was like, and if I feel like I would be a good fit at that school. Hmm. And as I kept, like, learning about the schools, I would visit and meet with the team and the coach, but that was a lot further along in the process. Um, In general, I'd say the first thing that you need to do is check the recruiting standards and see if you're within a close enough range that you feel that the school would have a good chance of responding. And Hmm. it's important to know that no matter how good of a fit you think you would be for a school, you're not always going to get a reply. There were teams that I reached out to that I felt like I easily had their times and should have been a good candidate and didn't get a response, but that's just part of the process. And you just have to move on from that and look at other opportunities. So how do you know those recruitment standards? Is there something published somewhere? Is there a book or an online source? So some schools will post them on their own on their cross-country or track and field websites, whereas others you can just look up that school's recruiting standards, and sometimes there's websites. With some schools, there's just nowhere to find where it is, and you just have to email and hope for the best. But Hmm. in general, you can usually find it somewhere. And uh, the big thing is just reaching out, usually by email, to their head coach or assistant coach. Okay, so you really, like a cold call, you find their email online, you send them an email and say, hey, I'd like to hear, you know, I'm interested, these are my times, or this is where I run. They can probably look you up as well, but um, you kind of provide an introduction to yourself. Yeah, exactly. And to find their email, it's usually really easy, because if the school has a cross-country or track team, then you they will also usually have a website for that team. And on that website, if you look around, there's always a page that lists their roster of their team and coach, and you can find the coach's email on that. Interesting. No, that's, uh, that's really interesting. Yes, I think sometimes people uh, would be intimidated about messaging someone, you know, like a varsity coach in a big university, but um, it's just what you have to do if you're interested in running for them. Um, is it the case that sometimes those schools will actually reach out to you? And if so, what types of schools reached out to you? 
for the most part, the schools that I was really interested in, I reached out first because, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure they're not allowed to reach out to you until you are in your junior year. Hmm. And I started my recruiting a little earlier, right after I finished my sophomore year during that summer, because that's when you're allowed to reach out and they can respond. Okay. But they can't reach out to you at that point, I'm pretty sure, at least for some schools. I'm not quite positive on the exact rules, but the main schools I was interested in, I reached out and got a response because it's also unlikely that the higher level schools are going to find you because there's so many people and if you don't reach out, they won't know if you're interested in them or not. And that's the big important thing because they're going to get a lot of people reaching out. And if they don't think that you would be interested, they won't reach out to you unless Mm. it's a truly like unique or special case. Sure. Too many colleges, too many students. Um, Did you have any local schools reach out to you and say, we'd love to have you run for us or contact you, come out to your runs? I did get contacted by a lot of schools, mostly um, like small D3 schools just across the country. Um, In general, I didn't, I either didn't reply or I just gave them like a polite no thank you type email because they didn't have what I was looking for academically. Hmm. And um, a few of the local schools also reached out and they're great schools, but I was just looking at kind of higher tier academic and what I was interested in. Hmm. Great. Yeah, no, that's, that's nice to hear. Um, if you, if you were helping and I know you do this from time to time with, with friends, if you were helping someone else that was interested in being recruited, but maybe didn't have the same academic standards or maybe wasn't quite, you know, didn't quite have the times that were required for the places they wanted to go or weren't sure where they wanted to go. What, what kind of advice would you give them? So always start out with the schools that you are really interested in. Even if you're just a little bit off what they have, then still it, the worst they can do is not respond. There's, it's not going to hurt reaching out and who knows they could respond and let you know like hey here's our actual updated recruiting times and you're this close but if not then you can look around at other schools there's some that would have running some that wouldn't and if it's a school that you're really interested in because of the school itself and not just the running almost every college has a club running team so you don't have to run on their like varsity team Sure. And I know, well, for example, scholarships, that kind of thing comes into the mix and paying for college, particularly if it's a private college. Um, was that a factor in your decision? Like, did you receive some, you know, full ride or other scholarship offers that you turned down because it just wasn't the right fit for you? I had a couple scholarship offers from various schools and just for one reason or another, I didn't take them, whether it was the team or the coach I didn't like as much or I visited the school and realized I couldn't see myself living there for four years. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. For Emory, I just really loved the school, but because they're D3, they couldn't offer me money. So paying for college is going to hurt because it's an expensive school. Mm-hmm. But I feel that, well, I hope it'll be worth it. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it will. I'm glad you mentioned coaching too because – um, that's one of the things a lot of athletes don't think so much about. They think, you know, okay, I'm going to go to the place I want to go to. If they have a good program, I'll be fine. But how does the, the personality mix with a coach, uh, how do you how did you feel that out, and how did you know that that particular coach would be someone you'd like to run for? So the biggest thing was 
well, emailing them, having a call with them, because it's really important having that first call to kind of understand and get them asking you questions to see what they feel is important. And then further down the line, when you visit and actually meet them, it's really, really important that you get time to talk with them one-on-one. So for me, my parents went with me on all the visits because they were also interested in the schools. They wanted to see how the whole journey was going, but they made it a point that at least for a large part of the visit, I would just be with the coach one-on-one and they would go wander off and explore the campus. That way you can meet the coach and really like see who they are and they can see who you are without having the parents there kind of hearing the only the good side of things. Because the thing with a lot of coaches, they are going to be honest with you. Like they obviously, they'll want you to go to their school, but they also want you to truly be happy and find the right place for you because they actually do care about the athlete the student they want you to go where you feel is best Mm. so they'll tell you the positives the negatives anything that you will ask they will answer honestly and it's also really important to meet members of the team because they will do the same as well but from a student point of view Hmm. well that's that's a really good point yeah and obviously meeting other runners was important too um to feel out that fit uh, how you would fit in, particularly on something like a distance team or cross-country team where it's a small group of people. Um, that plays into actually a bit of my next question because I'm sure you've had experience with multiple coaches, including personal coaches, high school coaches. Um, how how much does the coach themselves and their training regimen, how much does that play into your selection for college? And if so, you know, if it was a factor for you, how well does do you think the Emory program fits with your, your own running philosophy or your own running routine? I find that my previous coaches and my future Emory coach have been just huge parts in me deciding where to where I would like see myself going. Because I've had some great coaches, I've had some not great coaches in my time running because I've run for a while, but that really I've learned so much on what I feel works for me and what doesn't and I'm totally willing to try new things but if I know that there's a philosophy that just does not work and I see that there's a team that does that I'm a little less likely or I'm at least hesitant to view the program quite the same Hmm. and with the Emory coach everything that he talked about with me and their training has lined up really well with what I've seen working well for me and even my training this summer that I've been getting from him has lined up fairly closely to some of my uh, high school coaching that I feel like went pretty well. Um, and I feel like everything's been working. I feel that I'm in great shape from it. So it's also important that for the coaches, they're not, they don't only have to be good at coaching, but they have to be a nice, approachable person as well. Hmm. Otherwise, if there's something that happens, like you get injured or training just isn't working as well for you, you want it to be someone that you can talk to that they will understand and try to help you through it. Sure. Yeah. Someone that you can relate to and feel you can approach. Not super intimidating, um, at at least to an extent that you feel like you can share with them things like injury or when something's not working. Um, Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit to what has made you successful to this point. You know, I, as you know, I'm also a coach, and I um, a lot of times with young runners, it's really hard to kind of help them understand that it's not a, a month, 
a few months that you get better or even a season that you get better, but several seasons and several years, you know, as you build up mileage, as you build up strength and you get better and better over the course of your high school career. And then of course, your college career. And sometimes, as you said, you know, impatience or training too hard, doing too much speed stuff right away, not, you know, bumping up the mileage too quickly that can result in injury or maybe even the end of your, uh, you know, your, your collegiate career or your high school career too soon. So, um, you know, I want, I want to put some information out there for people that might be listening, whether they be runners or parents, in terms of what your buildup has looked like, um, some of your weekly training routine, what kind of things you recommend for young people who, you know, who want to succeed at uh, the high school and then going into the college level. So the first thing I'm just going to say is it's different for everyone. Nobody, no two people will have the same buildup or the same potential as as each other. It's going to be unique to each person. And you have to figure that out as you go. But in terms of training for distance running, at least, the biggest thing that you have to understand is going slow to go fast because you have to take recovery days. And it's the long, easy miles that you build up that are going to help you improve the most Mm -hmm. the workouts are important but they're the secondary thing they're to sharpen they're the icing on the cake the actual buildup of mileage whether it's over the summer or over a season that's the important part the everyday easy runs that you do and for example i had a friend who ran i think in the mid 25s for his 5k and over one summer he decided that he would run seven or eight miles every day really slow really easy but a lot of mileage and in one season he went from the 25s to low 17s wow Wow, that's incredible he felt really great i think he said he lost like 40 something pounds he said it was hard for him but it made him really happy and it was something he enjoyed and if it's not something you enjoy doing something like that then don't force yourself to you want it to be something that you feel that you do because you want to do it. And if you force yourself to do it, you're going to lose the motivation. Uh, Yeah, that's great advice. And, you know, the other thing, just to be clear, he didn't jump to seven or eight miles a day from very little running, but it was a slow, slow increase. Um, So I I guess you run almost every day. Um, What does a week look like for you, both in terms of mixing in, you know, hill work, tempo work and long runs? How, How does your how does your week usually look? So it depends on the season I'm in, but currently for summer like buildup, I've been doing anywhere from, well, I started out low because I took a two-week break after track season, mm-hmm. but I worked my way up to around 65 miles, probably going to go a bit higher a little later, but um, and then I every so often will have a down week, like this week I'm at 55, down from a 65, mm-hmm. which feels great. But um, in general, it's two workouts a week and a long run. And then every other day is just an easy kind of recovery day. Um, I don't think I've had a day off in a few months, but it feels fine. And if I needed one, there's multiple training plans or like week training plans that I um, can use to just build up my mileage other days and account for one. I just haven't felt that I quite need one because my legs have felt pretty good. Mm-hmm. But um, so far in summer, I feel like one of the two workouts in the week has either been a like 
easy steady state tempo run or a fartlek mm-hmm. and the other has typically been something hill workouty so hill sprints or longer hills and then the long run is sort of its own workout cuz almost every long run i do is at least partially progressive mm-hmm. and i'll work my way down from maybe like a 7 or a 705 down to even like low 6s hmm yeah, I, I get that. So some, you know, progressive runs are different for different people, but, you know, you might run half the run at this pace and then or a third, a third, a third, getting progressively faster throughout the run. And that way um, your body is not overwhelmed by sprinting speed right away. And you can kind of also feel um, what you're ready for that particular day. So if you go down to a certain uh, speed and you say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sore or that's too fast right now, then you can add or subtract time if, if needed. Um, one of the things that I often ask people is, what do, what do you see as the difference between your recovery day uh, and a long run day? And you kind of answered that, but maybe I could ask you that as well. So the long run is by far the most important run that a distance runner will do in a week, a uh, single run. And that is because that's when you really build up your aerobic system and Kind of, I know it's going a little into the science here, but um, the aerobic system is usually locked behind different, almost like time gates. Mm-hmm. And running for a certain amount of time will unlock one of those little gates, and you'll have a big boost in your aerobic improvement. And I don't know what the exact times were, but I think one was at like 45 minutes, one was at around an hour, and that's why you feel at an hour in a long run that there's usually it feels a lot harder mm-hmm. and you have to kind of push through that but there are certain like times and as you keep running for more time not even distance it's just about how long you run that's when your breathing is going to get better and stronger and the difference between the long run and just the normal kind of everyday runs is i mean a, the pace, because the long runs are progressive and the easy days, sometimes you'll want to take really easy if you feel it, because so much of running is by feel. Mm. But for the long runs, you think of it as its own separate thing. It's really just, it's almost its own workout. I mean, I wouldn't call it a workout, but you could consider it one, because it's just so different, even though it has the same idea. Yeah, and you also mentioned fartlek or tempo, which... It is a little different than progressive runs in that, um, it's my understanding, you're doing maybe a mile at this faster tempo and then you're going back down to your slower long run pace and then again maybe pick up for a mile and then go down to your uh, slower pace, your long run pace. Um, somewhat. I mean, fart licks can be really different depending on what you're trying to train for. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, what my coach has had me been doing is one minute on, one minute off, or two minute on, one minute off. And the ons are around kind of cross-country, like, 8K feel pace, which I haven't run an 8K before, but it's just slightly slower than my previous, like, 5K pace. So it's really hard. And then the minute off is usually just supposed to be easy run pace. So it, it ends up adding up once you get to some of the longer times and longer distances. But it's just really an important workout because it gets you used to running that pace for that amount of time and as you go the ons get longer and the offs get shorter and it eventually will train you to be used to running that pace on for the entire time 
No, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, you, you add add more time. Um, there's a lot of that in in training methodology. I I would also you know one of the things about weekly routine that I know you do because uh, I've seen you work on it and among uh, peers it's a it's a big deal is the preparation for the run in terms of warming up, doing drills, doing strides, um, and also some of the um, off day strength training kind of stuff. Uh, is there anything that you feel has been particularly effective for you? One of the most important things is static stretching after the run. Hmm. And I don't do static stretching beforehand because you can actually over loosen up and then that can cause you to get injured more easily. But I stretch twice a day, every day, once after the run and once either in the morning or evening, whichever I didn't run. And I do strength twice a day, every other day. Um, usually one light routine, one kind of harder routine. Um, and then for warm-ups before an easy run, I just do a few kind of light dynamics until my legs feel loose. And before a workout, I really have a full routine that I do along with some strides. Okay, great. Usually that routine, I've seen many different ones, but preparing for a workout, that could take as much time as the workout itself, anywhere like up to a half an hour even for some people. Yeah, it depends on the person. Some people feel that they need more, but it's really important to go off of feel because, like I said before, no two people are the same, and that goes with training, with racing, with warming up. Everything is going to be depending on how you feel, and if you don't feel warmed up enough to do a workout, keep warming up. Hmm. Otherwise, you're going to get injured. Well, that's a good that's a good point. A lot of times people have these rote prep prep things that they see others doing or they do as part of a team they're like uh, this is too much or this is not enough so it's a very personal thing um, good yeah I, I I tend to agree with that and uh, erring on the side of more is never a bad thing um, in terms of warm-ups it's better to do too much warm-up and be tired than to do too little and get hurt yeah and I, I find you know some of those drills that people do as part of warm-up routines can also be strengthening you know they can build yeah. build strength as well so it's good to have that that kind of routine thanks thanks for that and another really important thing about many of those drills you don't want to do it just for the sake of doing it you want to do them purposefully because a lot of the drills you don't realize are building your form hmm. such as things like high knees or a skips are working on you driving your legs forward and then there's things like lunges, which are more strengthening. So a lot of those warm-ups and drills are helping you build the form you need for running while also helping you loosen up. So you don't want to just, like, slouch and do it because you're told to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, A-skips, B-skips, lunges. I think that everyone should be familiar with those. And if not, look them up. <laughs> Watch a video because those, uh, those are good ones. Okay, um, let, let's go on. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, any memory that you have of, a, um, you know, you're a multiple state medalist. You've been to a lot state, state track and cross country in high school. Uh, is there any particular course or race that um, were memorable for you and that you'd like to share anything about? I think there's probably two races that I just, that always stand out to me. Um, one of them was a meet at Northport High School, um, pretty small meet. It's known as like a fast course when it's dry, but every time I've run it, it's been absolutely soaked and muddy. Hmm. Um, but that is the first place that I broke 16 in the 5k. Oh, great. And 
that race, it just felt like everything came together, and it just felt so good, because I had no idea what I was at, I didn't look at my watch for the entire race, and as I came through the line, I remember looking at the uh, clock and seeing the time, and my face just, like, dropped, and there's a really funny picture of me somewhere (laughs) with my face looking really dumb as I stared at the clock running through the line, and that race just really stood out, because... It was such a big milestone that I'd wanted for so long, and it felt really good. It's interesting that you have those days when everything comes together and you may not even be expecting it, but all the hard work kind of pays off, you know? Yeah, there's those days that just you feel good, and there's those days that you don't, and sometimes there's nothing you can do about it other than just try, because it could switch. You could be going from really good to really bad, and then you could go from feeling awful to starting the race and feeling great. Hmm. And then the other race... um, this past cross-country season in my senior year, um, it was regionals at Holloway Park, and it was not a fast race by any means, but it was a tactical one, and that stands out because I remember starting really slow and negative splitting it, and some of my competition started really fast and had a huge lead, and at halfway, people were talking about how the race was already over, and the person way in the front was going to win, and just through that second half, I worked my way up in pace and caught up to him in the last 400 and outkicked him to win regionals and that's probably one of my favorite memories of cross country just because of how good it felt to win that race and how good it felt to come from all the way behind and make it without without I wasn't even feeling good I kind of just forced myself to so Excellent. Just yeah, the negative great. split, great great strategy for any, I mean, from a 5K up to a marathon, so any distance runner probably has heard of it already, but you're trying to run the first half just slightly slower than the second half so that you have that kick and you can really um, exhaust your battery, everything you have in that second half, and um, and overcome competition uh, if, you, if you're close. Um, so that that's awesome. It's always good to have a favorite negative split story. <laughs> Um, so, you know, coming off of that, I I know you've had a lot of success, um, the past few years and you've put in a lot of hard work. Um, how do you feel going into, uh, your, your collegiate career? Um, how do you feel about your running and what are some things that you're hoping to do in the, in the coming year? So I'm for the most part, just feeling really excited. There's of course a little bit of nervousness, just not knowing exactly what to expect because it's going to be really different, but I'm super excited. I can't wait to like meet the team. That's probably one of the things I'm most excited for because I met a lot of them when I visited the school and I've been in contact with some of them, but it's going to be a totally different experience being part of that group and just being friends with all of them. And then running wise, I'm not quite sure what my goal should be. I've been told by people that common goals are to run, like, your 5K pace for an 8K, but I don't want to set any specific number on me because I just want to go into it and enjoy it and see how it goes. Hmm. And while I want to be competitive, I want to do well for my team and for myself, I don't want to set any unnecessary pressure on myself because that's when the nerves kick in and when you're on the line, you're feeling terrible because it's really important to just know that no matter what it's just one race even if it's a really important one you can always make up for it in another race and you don't have to beat yourself up about it 
Yeah, your career is long. One race or one year even um, will, will not define you and who you are. That's a great, that's a great attitude. I, I feel like uh, nerves can also, as you said, can be destructive and they don't help you in terms of your general well-being or academics either. So um, it's good to have a little bit of nerves, a little bit of butterflies, but not, like you said, not a overwhelming, uh, horrible sensation. So if you have that, it's time to try to reorient, I think. Like, I do, I do want to clarify. Being nervous for a race is, to, at least to a certain extent, a good sign because that means you do care and it, you truly want to do well. But if you let it overtake you and replace any like excitement or anticipation for yeah positive feelings for the race then it could end up hurting you like for multiple years i would throw up before every race because of how nervous i was Mm. and that probably took a lot out of me like physically mentally everything Mm -hmm. and it was only probably my sophomore year that something clicked and i just realized that it doesn't matter that much and that while I still really care about the running and the race, I'm not going to let myself be that nervous over one little thing. Hmm. Yeah, great. No, and it's no fun. <laughs> while you're running to be fun in the end, so you keep doing it. Um, yeah, from a psychological perspective. And, and you know, the other thing that um, I wanted to get to, since it's the running anthropologist, is to, uh, to ask you about, um, speaking of fun runs, some of the places that are memorable that you've been to recently that you can share. Uh, I know you've been to a few places that are just absolutely breathtaking, uh, kind of destination runs. Um, you know, would you like to share anything about those or why, why you like them or uh, tips for others? Um, yeah, a couple places that I've been. Um, there's a tiny island in the Caribbean called Dominica, and it's known as like the nature island. They're are very few people there are very few tourists and it's a extremely small island but running there we were looking for a track to do a workout on and on the entire island there is one single track and it's a grass track hmm. and wow. we showed up there to do repeat 400s and there was a local youth track team and we did not expect to see them whatsoever but they were there and i got to meet a bunch of them and like see how they were doing they jumped in a few of my 400 reps and would like take turns running with me. It was yeah, really cool. funny. And we actually stayed in contact with them for a while and got my um, local AAU team in contact with them. And that was one of the coolest experiences that I've ever had because no matter what, they're different, like, they're completely different cultures. And you come together through that running, through that shared experience, and you can like understand them. And especially the coach, I really, really respected that coach because a lot of these families were extremely low-income families. I mean, the island was still recovering from a tropical storm six years previous. Wow. And you could see that coach was giving everything just to make those kids happy and to give them that positive part of their life. And it really was, like, touching to see that. And... When we got back, we connected them with the local AAU team, and we sent them some, like, water bottles and bags and stuff to give to the uh, athletes there. And I know um, a little while ago they were hit by Hurricane Irma, and that, like, wiped out a lot of the island. So Mm. I think they they managed to survive through that, and I think they're just building up again. So we still try to send some things to them 
to that's help great. them out. That's great. I'll have to follow up with that. That's wonderful. Um, Spanish is a Spanish-speaking island. Um, no, it's uh, I think mainly English-speaking, okay. and then a little bit of uh, Creole. Got it. Cool. So you could communicate. <laughs> um, and oh, um, how? So I know you were in Utah during the summer. What is it like running in Utah in the summer, and how's it different from here? I loved it because we went. Um, I think that was about a week, week and a half ago. That I think it was about a week ago we got back. Um, I was there for 10 days visiting my uh, college roommate, and he was really fun, really nice guy. Can't wait. Um, but for the most part, we were staying up at elevation, so it wasn't usually the crazy hot of like the desert. Hmm. We had a few days where it was it would get over 100, but mornings were cold of course because it's uh, more desert like yeah to some extent the yeah. like depending on where we were um there were a couple runs at like nine thousand feet of elevation that it got hard to breathe but it was really like nice temperature hmm. um some of the lower elevation like closer to four thousand that got hot yeah yeah and, it's funny i you know I, it's been so long since i've ran at elevation i don't even know what, what what i would expect but i'm sure it would be hard much harder to train coming from zero or so here in Florida. It took some adjustment. It it was weird because I couldn't, I can't like describe what it felt like, except that everything just felt more difficult. Like paces that I ran easily uh, felt really a lot more difficult when I was at that elevation. Um, I mean, I still felt like I ran really well. I did a, my first long run there was uh, I think about 6,000 feet in Park City. And Ezra, my roommate, chose a really, really hard, like, hilly place to run. <laughs> and he just took off because he's used to that. And we ran, like, a 630 pace for that long run. And it was brutal. It killed me. <laughs> and I think it wasn't even the elevation. It was just the amount of hills that we had to run. The elevation gain, that's the hardest part for me. Sure. Sure. Yeah, no, those muscles are, uh, even if you do tons of hills, uh, hill work, it's only once a week, and you're, you know, you're yeah. not. It's not like you're running up a mountain. It was great training, though. Oh, it's great, and the, the views are incredible out there, and the, obviously there's no humidity like here. Um, a little bit different in different parts of the country. I think the lack of humidity was my favorite part because I got back to Florida and could not breathe. It felt like a swampy soup. It's, it's a wall, through. a wall it of was, humidity. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was something else. Yes, that comes with summer training in Florida, but you know, there's there's always a, a cool morning around the bend, and coming months we'll be grateful. Emory, I know, is a little bit colder, so you'll be enjoying that a little bit further north. Um, all right, well, I think I think that's everything I wanted to cover. Is there anything else you would like to add? Any tips or takeaways for you know student athletes, people looking to start their collegiate running? Uh, anything else that comes to mind? Kind of just a few recaps on the tips. It's really important to start recruiting early. Um, I think the earliest you can really start is summer after sophomore year of high school. Um, it's really important to reach out. It's important to, at some point, eventually schedule a call with the coach. And it's important to visit the campus before you decide on a school hmm. and meet the team and the coach. And even if they tell you, just schedule an admissions tour politely decline and say I would actually rather have a tour led by either you the coach or by one of the student athletes because hmm. that way you can really get a feel of what the school is like from their perspective that's a great tip 
And then for running in general, um, slow, easy miles are your friend. Uh, you don't want to overdo it with workouts and training because running fast may seem like the best way to get fast, but that's not true because you need to let your legs recover after workouts. Hmm. Um, and I guess for college, just really try to obviously focus on your running, but make sure the academics are the priority because that's the big thing that colleges will look at. You can be a, an amazing runner and a college can still say, I'm sorry, but you don't meet your academic re- the academic requirements. But that depends on the school, so it's case by case. Excellent. Now, those are all great tips. And for a more practical, you know, for those that are relatively new, for more practical approach, you know, you go fast a couple of days, you know your 5K pace, add a couple minutes to that 5K pace. So let's say you can run eight-minute miles, add two minutes to that, you're running 10-minute miles for your uh, slow long run pace um, or more if it's hot. So, you know, that's how much difference you want to be doing in that slow run. And when KJ says that, you should know it's it's true because he's improved his speed. He's one of the fastest guys in Tampa Bay, and he does not mind running slow on those long runs. So that's that's a great tip, and I tell that to everybody too. All right. Well, KJ, I really appreciate your time. We got, I took, uh, you know, at least an hour of your time here with all the prep and everything. I know you got a lot to do and you're heading off in what, like 10 days or something. So wish you all the best and we're going to miss you around here. Hope you come back and visit and, uh, and show off sometimes. Thank you so much for having me. It was actually really fun. Thanks, KJ. Nice, nice to have you. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening and uh, look forward to hearing more from you. You're welcome to post on our blog site or ask a question at Running Anthropologist on Instagram or Facebook. And until next time, wish you and yours happy running. And that was the Running Anthropologist podcast for this episode. So glad that you joined us. I did want to share out if you all would like to... uh, connect with us in any way we're at at running anthropologist on instagram and facebook you can send me a message that way and um you know there's a lot of great running research out there that i i like to share out um on the facebook page and on instagram one of the ones that i've been reading the most about is run long run healthy by Amy barfoot and um wonderful publication really breaks down mostly the science and new research every week that's coming out around running. Now, some of it's pretty cool. Uh, he shares links. Uh, the free stuff is really good. And uh, yeah, run long, run healthy. I'll share that out as a link in the blog site. And of course, I'll share out a couple links about cross country running and uh, a few fun poems about it too. Uh, good stuff. Well, thank you for joining us again and hope you tune in next time where we'll be covering a little bit about the Detroit Marathon, which was my first marathon, and uh, going to interview some people and see what it's like on the ground in Detroit, one of our few international marathons going over into Canada and back. So I'll be sharing out about that experience for me in an upcoming episode. And hope you and yours have a wonderful, wonderful season and happy running. Marathon season's coming up soon. I'll be in Detroit, of course, and in New York running the New York City Marathon, and probably, again, Space Coast and, of course, Disney. So all you Disney fans out there, look forward to meeting you there. Okay, take care, everyone, and happy running.